So we're going to look at these two very familiar metaphors in Scripture. First, he transforms our character. And that's what the Beatitudes really are about. Uh, That's not a path that we can travel and traverse on our own. We cannot get there. We've said that. It has to be the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in us that works into us the kind of humility and the kind of the kind of sorrow over sin, brokenness over sin, and the kind of meekness and teachableness that that comes and the kind of you know, the kind of hunger of getting hunger, our hunger and our thirst, going in the right direction to actually thirst for what is righteousness and the hunger for what is righteous. And then then to be able really to forgive, you know, to to really be able to forgive in the way that God forgives, the way he that the way he really works, you know, uh, that 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 we understand his forgiveness to to the extent that we're able to really forgive and then become sincere become you know become um pure in heart um we can't, we just can't do that on our own we can't we can't be we can't be peacemakers we can't enter into the tough work of of reconciling relationships uh, between men and uh, and uh, or between men and god uh, and and we can't be willing to endure the kind of suffering that comes and persecution that comes without the Holy Spirit, without the transforming work of God in our lives. So he first he transforms our character, and then, then he, begin, he gives us a transcending um, purpose in life. He gives us a call. He places a call in our lives. And it's, it's not just a call on our lives, but it's a call that's in us. It's something that's worked in us because, because he's going to say to us, you are. It's not, don't aspire to be, don't try to be, don't, you know, try to just apply this, but, but, but understand this is now who you are. You are now salt and light. Those are the two metaphors. So I really want to do four things real quickly this morning, just moving quickly through Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 13. I want to talk about the compliment, the compliment that he's given us then the calling and the cost, and then the cautions. Uh, just those four things. So first, the compliment. A few years ago, a nonfiction writer by the name of Mark Karlansky uh, turned his attention to a very common household item with uh, a very intriguing history, salt. You know, if, if, um, if you go to the grocery store this afternoon and, and to the, <clears throat> the spice aisle, you can pick up a... A, a, a big, inexpensive, kind of round, you know, carton-looking thing of, of salt, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's prominent, it's cheap, it's everywhere. It's, uh, it's, it's scattered out on tables, you know what I'm saying, at every fast food, in little packets, uh, or at any restaurant. You see it everywhere you go. But Mark Kurlansky began to, to really do the, an investigative study into the history of Salt, it's the only rock we eat, he says. But salt has shaped, according to Karlansky, has shaped civilization from its very beginning. And its story, he says, is glittering. It's a surprising part of the history of mankind. It's a pretty good little lead-in to the preface of your book, right? If you're interested, his book is called Salt, A World History. Karlansky says, salt is so common, 
so easy to obtain and so inexpensive that we've forgotten that from the very beginning of civilization until about 100 years ago, salt was one of the most sought-after commodities in all of human history. For thousands of years, salt represented wealth. In the ancient world, evil spirits were thought to be warded off by salt. So it was it was kept on a person to keep evil spirits away. It was the, among the very first of all the commodities that was ever traded. Sometime around 10,000 years ago, according to Karlansky and other historians, the first dogs that were domesticated were domesticated by the use of salt. They would leave out salt for the dogs to lick, and then they would begin to replace the salt with food. And soon that, that food would become the source of food for the dog and, and the, or the dogs that would come up. And then little by little, they would, they would approach them closer and closer until the, the dogs began to eat out of their hands. And then they would steal a puppy or a puppy would follow them home and they'd get used to people and the puppies would become docile because they were staying with people, and dogs became domesticated. And Karlansky says that, believe it or not, all of the domesticated animals that you and I know on the farm today, cows, goats, all other livestock, were domesticated in a process that used salt. Salt was a major factor in their lives, and a major political factor. The city of Rome was founded where it was because of its proximity to salt mines of the day. The first great Roman road ever built by Rome, and they built highways all over the known world of their day, was called Via Salaria, the way of salt or the salt road. Roman soldiers were often paid with salt. And a commander would often ask, is that soldier worth his salt? We still use that idiom, do we not? The word salary comes from the Latin word sal for salt. Romans were known for salting their greens. And so thus we get the word salad, salad, from the Romans. The ancient Romans during the time of Jesus were the ones that developed engineering technologies that are still being used to mine and process salt today at the time of Jesus. Truth is, humans can't live without salt, right, Doc? Okay, we've got, we've got testimony down here, you know. Just like water and food, its deficiency causes headaches and weakness and lightheadedness, Nausea and the absence of salt in our system could eventually cause death. So we have this necessary kind of craving, do we not, for food. We get hungry. We experience hunger pains. We, we thirst for water. But, but with salt, we don't have some associated sort of craving that we think of, even though salt is a vital nutrient, nutrient in every one of our bodies. Today, It's in our blood, it's in our lymph fluid, in our uh, extracellular fluids. It's necessary for most metabolic processes in the body. It helps our body regulate fluids. It's essential for cardiovascular function and for digestion. In other words, without 
salt we buy. Not to mention that french fries don't taste very good. In the ancient world, salt was even thought to be the symbol of fertility. And it's because fish lived in salt water and they had so many more offspring than the land animals that ancient men came to believe that salt was the secret of fertility. And so often husbands and wives would carry salt around on their person to ward off infertility when they wanted to start a family. And the ancient Romans would say of a man who was desperately in love that he was salax or he was in a salted state of mind. Hmm. Salt was also a huge part of religious customs. In every religion of the, that is known in the world today, it was an acceptable offering to the Greek gods in Jesus' day. It was a part of the ancient Egyptian burial rites for, you know, in the mummification of their, you know, their kings and their royalty. To the Hebrew people, salt is a symbol of the covenant of God with his people, a covenant that will never spoil. Numbers 18, it is an everlasting covenant of salt before the Lord to you and to your descendants. And so newborn babies, little Hebrew babies, were often rubbed down with salt at birth as a sign of the covenant, the eternal covenant. Now that sounds itchy to me, doesn't it to you? I hope they didn't leave that on that long. You realize what Jesus was doing? Jesus was paying his followers a huge compliment. When he said, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Do not think of yourself ever as being unnecessary in the world. Your presence, Christian, is huge. Jesus, you know. You you and I have just become so accustomed to table salt, we've forgotten the significance of what it would have meant in Jesus' day. He couldn't have given them a more beautiful, a a stronger compliment to say, what you do is so incredibly necessary in the world. We are together, salt and light. So let's read this text. Verse 13, chapter 5. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So we are salt and we are light. Okay, so think with me for just a moment. 
What is the source of light that was known in Jesus' day? The Greek word there is phos. Firelight. Right? They didn't go flip on the switch, right, and have electricity. It was fire, light, is what it was. Fire changed everything in humanity, did it not? When humans learned to harness fire, that was revolutionary for this planet. You get that. None of us can get through a single day without fire. Think of it. We all came here today in vehicles propelled by highly engineered and controlled use of fire. Did we not? So do you see how you, 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 we, you could, ought to be re- reinforce this in your mind, how essential that, that you are in the world. Most of our homes are heated by gas furnaces, which are controlled fire. The electricity we use is generated by fire, most of it. Behind all of our technology, if you track it all the way back, you'll find fire in the ancient world. Everywhere, cooking, heating. In Jesus' day, it, it represented everything. Cooking, heating, cleaning, safe, safety, welfare, community, religion. Everything had, was associated with, with fire. And so here are these two really strong images for us. So first he compliments us, and then he gives us, in those metaphors, a sense of our call. Now, I would just simply want to point out to you that in the text that we, we just made, the world makes two contributions to this thing in the way that Scripture often talks about the influence of the world. What is the world's contribution? Darkness and decay. Those two things. Darkness and decay. Increasing darkness and continual breaking down and decay. Putrefication. That's what the world gives. Is the world looking better to you today or is it looking worse? I had this funny conversation. I went and had a physical. I had, you know, I had this annual physical, which took me like four years to get my annual physical done. Um, but I went and saw my doctor, who I dearly love. We've become good friends. and We're a, we're a month apart in birthdays. And so we celebrate our birthdays together. We have, we'll have lunch in between our birthdays every year. And, and, uh, and so I'm finishing up my physical. And, uh, and, um, and he's scribbling down notes. And, and then, he, and, and then it just, he just kind of turns and he looks at me. Because, see, we were like children of the 70s. You know, we, all, we went through college back in the 70s. And, and he looks at me and he says, you know, Dave... We really were so idealistic back then, weren't we? Somehow we thought we were going to change the world, didn't we? And then he kind of looked at me and he said, I'm more worried about the world today than I've ever been. It doesn't look like it's getting better. And I'm wondering, I'm really wondering what kind of contribution I've really made. It, it, it started a pretty interesting conversation. 
between us. It, the reality is, is that folks, the Lord Jesus is going to have to come back before it gets better. Okay. But there's a reason why we're here. Because what the world contributes is darkness, increasing darkness, and decay. And so what is the role of salt and light? In, in the realm of decay, to be a preservative. That was the primary use of salt. Now, you can say salt brings out the flavor in food, and it's not the main thing in the food, but it helps bring out the flavor. And, and so we could have a big, long sermon about how, how salt just spices up life. But the truth is, in Jesus' day, and when Jesus is talking about the world and the world being in decay, he's saying, I'm leaving you in the world because as long as you're in the world, even though you feel small, even though you may think you're insignificant and you're not because you're really important, I just complimented you. You're essential because, because your presence is going to slow. Your presence is going to give the world more time. And the world needs a little more time, don't you think? So you're going to be a preservative in the world. So you're going to be a preservative, and then you're also going to be, you're going to point to the light. You're going to be a pointer. You know what I'm saying? You're going, to, you're going to focus the light. You get it? Where there's a dark place, you're going to bring light. And if you think about it, once your eyes kind of adjust in a dark room, if you just light a little candle... What happens? It really does change things, doesn't it? You know, my kids in Indonesia, they're used to this because, because they have power outages almost every other day in Indonesia where they were living in Salatiga. And we got to experience that. You know, one night we're, you know, we're preparing this, you know, this big meal. Uh, my son, Jim, is quite the little engineer. You know, he's an Aggie. And uh, he, he got out and just... Buy all, went to the market and bought all these different parts, and then he assembled his own barbecue pit out of like pots and stuff, and so and you know and made his own grill. And so we were gonna we were gonna grill hamburgers. We we're gonna eat American and Indonesian. So Jim and I got the grill going, and and Rachel's in the kitchen, and she's she's making all the side dishes and everything, and and the power just goes out. And it just gets totally dark, and, and Rachel didn't even skip a beat, right? Because, I mean, she lives in Indonesia. She's getting, she, walks, she just walks right over on top of the refrigerator and gets off this little, little headlamp with a band. <laughs> Flips it on and just goes back over a little gas stove and just keeps cooking, you know. And, uh, and so we had, I, I had taken for a Christmas present, I'd taken Hudson a, a flashlight, and I, I went to the Brookstone store and bought one of those that doesn't have to have a battery. You just crank it. It generates its own electricity. So it would never run out of electricity in the jungle. I mean, where are you going to get batteries, right? You know, when you're a missionary. So, I, so, uh, so Hudson ran and got his little flashlight, you know what I'm saying? And, and so we cooked hamburgers out on the grill with, with Hudson on this little flashlight. It's dark everywhere. But that, that one little light makes all the difference in the world. And Jesus says, I'm sending you into a, into a a culture, into a society, into a city that is decaying. 
for a reason. I'm calling you there. I'm calling you there. And, and so you're, you're just let those metaphors just sort of like soak, soak in those for a little bit. You know, it's a, a tremendous compliment to be thought, you're going to be a difference maker. Your presence is going to make all the difference in the world. You're essential. You're more essential than they'll ever know there because you're going to be salt and you're going to be light in a world that is growing increasingly dark and decaying by the minute. And, and, and then the third thing, there's a cost involved. There's, there's two things that I see in, in, in this text. One of them is, you're going to have to get involved. That's when we talk about living sin around here, the E stands for what? Engage. You're going to have to engage. See? See, like, here's what normal people do. People see a problem. People see folks' lives falling apart. You know what I'm saying? And what do they do? Oh! Back off. We try to avoid problems. And needs. I'm saying because if we get involved, what happens is we we don't know how much time that's going to take, how much energy is going to be required of us. And so we're very, very, very conservative about that. And it's a lot easier just to write a check, right? There's cost involved. You're going to have to engage. Serving, engaging. You're, you're going to have to get in, in, involved. Now, I, I realize with some of us in the room that there's, and, and because I've suffered from this most of my ministerial life, I'm getting better. You know, God's doing some healing in me. But that codependency thing, you know what I'm saying, can really jack you up because you, you, because you, you start developing this need to be needed. So that's why in Celebrate Recovery, we see these families where, you know, where, you know, where, you know, you know, where husband's been drunk most of his life and wife has been the one taking care of a drunk. And then when he gets sober, what happens? They don't know what to do with their lives because she doesn't know, she doesn't feel needed anymore because he's not drinking. So we're not, ta- we're not talking about that. We're talking about God transforming character, your character in such a way, you know what I'm saying, that, that, that your needs are being met in him, you see, and that's what the Beatitudes are about. And so now you're ready to engage in the world where there's darkness and where there's decay, where things are breaking down, where families are falling apart, where, you know, where people's lives are in disarray and they're falling into the pit where, you know, where it, where in, in societal places where there's injustice and people are suffering because systems have been created to force people into those systems in which they're kept and, I have to get involved. Because that's who I am. I'm, I'm salt. And I'm light. That's, that's who I am. That's who I'm becoming in Christ. So there's cost. You, 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 you can't be uninvolved. You can't just be casual. I'm just saying, and, and come to church on a Sunday, and so, so, so that... 
you get your toes stepped on a little bit, and then the rest of the week you can just do whatever you want to do and just look out for yourself and just avoid issues and problems where those things arise. Right? There's a cost. And the other cost is what, what Scott talked about last week. When you read this in context, it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteous sake. For there's the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and they persecute you and they utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are salt. You are light. I mean, if, if, you, if you act as salt and light in the world, you're going to get hurt. There's cost. You're going to get hurt. Did you hear that? People aren't going to understand. They might even think you're interfering in their life. And you, you have to figure out how you do this in such a way through the Beatitudes that you go in humility and, 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 and you let them know your own brokenness and your own struggle in your own life and you become, that, that, you, that God had to bring you to a place where you could be meek and teachable you know, before him and you come in sincerity of, you know, of, of, of heart and, and you just say, I'm, I just want to be here. I just want to be here. How can I help? But there'll be a cost. You'll have to get involved and expect to get hurt. Jesus told us straight out. Expect to get hurt, guys. And then there's two cautions. Two cautions. He says, he said, you know, you can lose your distinctiveness. You can, you can become like the world. He said, you, you've got to interact with the world. You've got to be involved. You can't, you, know, you can't keep yourself pristine you know, by just living in some fortress. You're going to have to get involved in people's lives. But what you've got to do is you've got to be careful that you maintain that sense of purity, that distinctiveness about who you are in Christ. Because if you become like the world, if you, get, if you get everything all mixed into your life like the world, you'll lose your savor, you'll lose your flavor, your influence. And, 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 and we might as well just cast you out in the streets and trample on you. Just use you for, you know, for pavement. And, and there's a second caution. You said, you know, you can, you can hide what you've been given under a basket. You can hide out. So that's not the way we intend for that because when we light a lamp a little candle or a little lamp, we place it on a stand in the midst of a household, an oikos. And the Greek word there, oikos, it, it conveys more than just the idea of immediate family, but it is an oikos to the Greek was a household, so it meant relatives and servants and friends. So every one of us in this room is in the midst of an oikos. We have a sphere that we operate in, and everybody's sphere, would you agree, is unique and different from everyone else's. The sociologists tell us that the average sphere is about 24 to 28 people. There are some of us, like my daughter Jill, who is a social butterfly, can light on hundreds of people, right? And she has in her sphere probably 40 to 50 but most of us have 24. When we talk about relatives, family, friends that we spend time with on a regular basis, you know, and, 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 and Jesus has placed you as a light on a stand right in the midst of it. 
And nobody else is in that sphere like you are. But you can hide. Yeah, I used to tell college students, all the years I worked with college students, I'd say, guys, you can be, you know, Gamma Phi Delta and just happen to be a Christian, or you can be a Christian who just happens to be Gamma Phi Delta. And there's a big difference. Because if you understand who has transformed your character and who has called you, then you'll be a Christian who just happens to be Gamma Phi Delta. Or you'll be a Christian who just happens to work at HP. Or uh, you'll be, instead of being a, you know, a, a centennial titan who just happens to be a Christian, you'll be a Christian who just happens to be at Centennial High School uh, and, you know, you root for the titans. And there's a big difference. So two cautions. You can hide out or you can get all mixed in with the world and become just like the world. And if you do... You'll lose your light. You'll lose your slave, your, your savor. All right, got to close. So I woke up in this, like, totally blacked-out dark room Thursday. Um, so we, uh, we were finishing surgeries on Thursday afternoon, and we always get the last surgeries in by about 2 to 2.30. Um, and... Um, Deb stays as the administrator, stays behind in, in post-op care until the last patient goes into the ward. And so, but I finished up my day visiting with everyone, praying with everybody in the ward, you know, about 4 o'clock. And, uh, and I was, I'll tell you, I was beat. I was exhausted. And so uh, I walked with some of, the, some of the nurses from pre-op that had gotten off, and we walked back to the hotel and... Uh, and the, the plan was for the evening is with all of the surgeries completed by Thursday afternoon around 4.30 or 5 o'clock was, is that we were going to all have dinner at this really super fancy hotel called uh, the Santa, Santa Domingo Hotel in Antigua. It's one of the really beautiful old historic, you know, the building's been there for 400 years and, you know, just cool place. And we were going to all have this celebration dinner and, at 7 p.m., and so I go back to the hotel, and I, uh, I lay down, and thinking, well, Deb will finish up with the last patient, and she'll, you know, I'll just, I'll just take a little nap, and, and I woke up, and the room was, like, dark, and for a minute, I didn't know where I was. I was trying to figure out, where, where am I, and then I realized, I'm in Antigua. And I, so I fumbled over each other and I pick up my phone and it's, it's five minutes after seven. And I mean, I just sat up in bed, you know. And I go, oh my gosh, I'm missing the celebration dinner. And so immediately I think, you know, Deb probably went straight from the hospital, you know, stayed a little bit later, went straight from the hospital. She didn't come and wake me up. I'm missing the celebration dinner. I'm in deep weeds, you know. Uh, and so, and literally, I mean, I just, I, I just leapt into action. I, I, I grabbed my shoes and I'm hopping out the door toward the, for, toward the front desk of the, of the hotel. You know, hey, mister, give me a cab, you know, give me a cab. I'm missing the celebration dinner. By the way, what, do you know what hotel that's going to be at? 
The guy says, well, the Santo Domingo, you know. And I went, okay, awesome. Get me a cab. I'll be right back. I got to go get ready. And as I'm running running back toward my room, the guy pops out of the door there in, in, in registration. He goes, hey, mister, mister, they already went to the hotel to get the food. They're bringing the food back here. I went, oh, no, they're not. We're having this big dinner. It's a big banquet at the hotel. They're not bringing the food back here. And then the guy walks over and he points at this little sign on the wall that the dinner's been canceled. They canceled the celebration there. So I walk back up through the hotel to this little porch area where, you know, where we meet, you know, in the evening sometimes for, for, for meals regular, regularly. And there's three or four of the pre-op nurses that are, they're hanging around there. And I start asking questions. And, and, and it seems that this little gal, Juana, who had come in that morning for surgery with Adolfo and with, with her sister, Miriam. And um, let me just say, um, Juana was like 32. And uh, she looked like she was eight months pregnant. But, but Juana, had, at 32, had never been able to have children. I'm saying, because there, there had been cyst in her uterus that had been there for years and it was growing now it was growing and it was the size it was between the size of a soccer ball and a basketball and so dr grieben one of our church members and wife ronnie uh it, it participated in that surgery with dr Vu and some others had had uh, performed the surgery on juana and they had um they had taken her into you know post-op care and Jim Gill, one of our church members as well, is an anesthesiologist. And, um, and Gill walks in, you know, um, a while later, and he's, he's saying, man, her numbers are dropping. And, and I don't know medically, I can't speak to all the medical thing, but I just know she was hemorrhaging inside. She was bleeding out inside. And, and, and here's the problem. You're in Antigua, and, uh, and medicine, practicing medicine in Guatemala is not an easy thing because... The National Hospital will not share any blood or blood products with you. Those have to be brought from a, you know, from a, a clinic now, and it takes two hours to get blood. You know what I'm saying? So I found out what was happening, and I went back to the front desk and says, get me a taxi. I've got to get to the hospital. And I walked into post-op, and it was a city set on a hill. A third of our team, a dozen of them were there, you know, three anesthesiologists because they were staying with each other. And, you know, there's Dr. Grieben and there's Ronnie, you know, uh, sitting there and Lisa Price from our church, who's, who's the, a post-op nurse. And, I mean, that gal was ready. She's on the spot anticipating everything the doctor's going to tell her because at least some of these nurses are really sharp. You know, they, they almost know what's coming. But everybody, everybody, and everybody communicating in community. Because when, when Jesus says you are salt and you are light, he's saying it's, it's plural there. It's, a, you know, it's as a community, you're to be a church that's, that's full of salt and full of light. And it was like a city on a hill because you know, they were, we, you know, we had to wait till nearly 10 o'clock before we could get blood products. And these guys, these doctors literally kept that lady alive. They preserved her life. I think prayer did it personally. 
And, and we didn't get, you know, we walked back to the hotel about 10.30 that night. Our theme song for the week was the one that Kelly led us in. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul. And the verse says, the sun comes up, it's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again, whatever may pass or whatever lies before me. And boy, you talk about a, that was a long and very difficult day. And you, and you could, you, the tension, you could have cut the tension in that room, you know, with a knife, with a scalpel. Maybe that's a more appropriate image. But we walked back to the hotel about 1030 that night. Let me be singing when the day is done. Because she'd been stabilized and she was then in, taken to the ward and the night physician, a good solid Guatemalan night physician was there to stay with her all night. And she was still with us the next morning because we were anxious to get there. 7 a.m. rounds. Your salt, your light. God will engineer the places. He's already placed you in an oikos in a sphere. <laughs> Let's see what he does. He compliments you because you're essential. And he calls you. He tells you up front there's going to be a cost. And he gives you a caution. Because there's some of us that will hide out. There's some of us that will just get so mixed up in the world. He was just saying that, you know, that we'll lose our influence. But I'm praying that won't happen to you. Would you bow with me?